you're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, this is Manjula Narayan, National Books Editor, Hindustan Times, and this is the Books and Authors podcast. It's a weekly podcast where I speak to authors who've got a new book out. Hi, so today we have with us uh, Annapurna Garimala, who's edited the long arc of South Asian art. Essays in honor of Vidya Dahija. Hi, Anupurna. Hi, Manjula. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Yes, you know this is a whole collection of essays. Do you want to like explain what what it is about, and then you know we'll take off from there. Okay, so you know uh, the scholarly world has a long tradition of doing something called a festschrift, which is a yes. book that is in honor of a particular scholar. And uh, this particularly people who are in the same field or the students of that scholar do a festschrift. Um, The festschrift model is is beautiful, but often um, is not so meaningful for people after a certain time because there is it's perceived as being a on in honor of somebody, but not necessarily um, something that is disciplinarily uh, that contributes significantly to the new directions the discipline will take or can take. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, what I did was there's also a, a tradition within the fields of the humanities and perhaps in the sciences. I'm less familiar with the sciences of doing readers, which is a reader is slightly different. So for example, a reader uh, about ceramic history in, it would, would have sections on glazes. It might have section on important mm-hmm. makers. It might be important essays. Uh, one very important uh, reader that I've recently read is um, Glenn Adamson's reader on craft. So you have somebody like Karl Marx and John Ruskin and Mahatma Gandhi and, um, uh, you know, other people all put together to understand how a particular idea develops uh, mm. around a subject or a topic. So in a sense, what I, because the career of Vidya Deheja, I'm one of her earlier, stu- earliest students. There were one who mm. were there before me, um, uh, was so, has been so, foundational in a sense for the current history of the discipline, the current state of the discipline. We can talk about it further, but she basically opened up many, many avenues uh, which are now being, in in essence, opened up, populated with scholarship, more ideas, bridges between different topics, between sub-areas. So then I said, well, let me take... um, the idea of Festschrift, which is a book in honor of our teacher, Vidya Deheja, mm. and mm. do it as a reader. So take five areas, which I think are a very significant contribution, and um, get all of her students to contribute new or existing essays, which were modified for this publication, um, and, and nest them in each of these topics. To, so that anybody who comes to the, the book can, say, pick up a section, for example, a section such as um, on the body, uh, can immediately begin to understand that you have um, 
six scholars who are considered um, some of the preeminent uh, art historians who think about those particular aspects of the body, whether it's the magical body or the desiring body or um, the way the looking body or even mm -hmm. the, 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 the transforma transforming body. Um, and says, okay, this is in honor of Vidya Dehedja, but uh, this, these essays allow me to actually read together. This section allows me to um, think deeply about this topic as well. So, okay. yeah, so I think that's how the whole book is organized. And as you, as you would have seen, that it has five sections, uh, each of them mm. dedicated to specific topics. Um, and then it has um, an essay, an introduction by me, and an essay by Vidya at the end. Uh, so it's yes. it's, a, it's a it's a it's not really a um, it's a hybrid book that I think was needed for somebody like Vidya. Mm. And you can say hybrid. You know how do you mean? I'll tell you. You know she's had more uh, twenty five or more people to finish their dissertations under her. Oh, 25. 25. Wow. So either they were directly her students and she supervised them or she's played a significant role in shaping their scholarship. So um, I think at least 16, seven, maybe 20 of them are her direct students. So this means that um, to bring all of these people together um, required a format that was um, allowed them to acknowledge their debt to her, their gratitude to her, but also mm -hmm. allowed them to shine. And most of these scholars are uh, the leading leading in their in our field, and are mm -hmm. going to make significant contributions. They're just at the cusp of finishing their PhDs. They're the last mm -hmm. of her students, so it it needs to. It I felt it needed to do both because there's always been a person who has. Um, supported her students, but also allowed to, herself to learn from her students and has always said that at a, by the time you come to your PhD, you will be experts in, a, in this topic in a way that I can never be. This will be, and I will learn from you. So, uh, so I, 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 in that spirit, I created this hybrid construct of a reader and a feshrift. Okay. Okay, so now the range of topics in this book is like um, it, it's 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 really vast. I thought you know, and I was just looking through it. So, but but let's start with this wonderful cover. You know, tell me about it. I know it's the Jug Vilas uh, thing of you know the uh, of the Udaipur monarch and his buddies having <laughs> a good time. But, yeah, having a good time in a pool. But let's talk about it, you know. Why did you pick this or did you pick um, this? Well, you know? I, actually, the designer at Women Unlimited chose um, the the cover. It comes okay. with the images tied to the essay written by Deepti Khera, the art historian yes. Deepti Khera, who's long been working on Udaipur, particularly idea of bhava or... Um, mm. Uh, emotion and experience of the city 
and uh, she uh, she is uh, very deeply entrenched in thinking about visual narratives, which is an area that Vidya has spent a lot of time on. And uh, it made the cover, it, let's say if that's, that's the front of the cover, if you see the back of the cover, it's another visual yeah. narrative from early yes. Buddhist art. And yes. it's, it's sort of the bookend of, um, of Vidya's interest in, in early Indian art, as well as much later courtly art. And hmm. that, that's that's why the cover it was designed that way. Okay, okay, okay. So and and tell me about you know like there's um, there are essays on uh, you know uh, Queen Victoria and her and her Indian um, staff servants really and uh, there's there's this one which 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 we exp- excerpted you know Risha Lee's the Indic carvings of Guanzu. Hmm rethinking community so you know it's like really there's a there's a lot in this book you know the essays are very varied the subjects of the essays so do you want to talk about that okay so i think to, to get a handle on the book is to see it actually through the table of contents so the table of yeah. contents provides us and the introduction in I, i've spelled this connection out but i think it's uh, since our audience is um, not going to necessarily have the book in their hand. So yes. each of the, es- all the essays are grouped on around um, five topics. So there's visual narratives is the first one. And this is tied to Vidya's own uh, work on um, Sanchi and on early Buddhist art, as well as mm-hmm. the legend of Rama, the book that she published with Marg publications about 20 years ago. And while the topics are quite diverse, from early Buddhist material to paint uh, murals in in South Indian temples to a Mevar Bhagavad Purana to the Jagvilas, uh, yeah. all of them are concerned with this idea of how do you use, how do you make visual narratives to um, either further the agenda of the Bhagavad, um, further bhakti, how reading and looking themselves can be part of devotion and how reading and looking are related to each other and are part of the pleasure of art. So Mm. if you look at, let's say, um, the Nagas in early Buddhist art, familiarity Mm. with Jatakas and the stories of all the Nagas that are in early Buddhist texts whether they're oral or committed into writing, you begin to understand from that essay that um, Charlotte Gorant, the author of that essay, is really helping us understand what is it about the Naga, um, who is a non-human creature. So this is in recent scholarship. There's a deep interest in how do we think about the non-human as opposed to being overly anthropomorphic. Uh, interested in anthropomorphic, um, anthrop- a- a- a human, um, mm. human uh, stories. So she takes this the story of these various nagas, which um, early Buddhist narrative really um, respects their desire to also seek their desire to seek the dharma, to gain um, some kind of knowledge, to gain uh, a a, 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 um, passage from their snakeliness, their uh, snakeliness and become human. So, Mm. so that, so that 
is visible in that text. And then if you go to uh, a text like uh, Nirja Poddar's uh, early Mevar Bhagavata, you really begin to understand of how this Sanskrit text is uh, added to both in terms of the margins of the manuscript um, written into in uh, non-Sanskrit languages. And um, uh, there's a kind of dialogic, a dialogue between the Sanskrit uh, Bhagavad Purana, the local text, the painting, the tika that is, the commentaries that are emerging, so that you begin to understand how the actual material of the book is is recording its own uh, life through the engagements of its readers. So in so there there's a diversity between the in all the sections there's this kind of diversity of topics but they're all connected by the overarching theme. So for example um three of the essays in uh all actually all the essays in India by design are about European engagements with um, Indic material and mm-hmm. whether it's in museums or in painted versions of the yoga yoga yogis or um, Victoria's uh, uh, self-imaging with servants, or even mm. the idea of how do you come t- to terms with uh, the design of buildings which don't look like anything you're familiar with in your own country. Uh, mm. I also have a lot of power in this new place to, that your taste is not just about your personal taste, but your taste sits within a particular uh, framework of politics and power. Uh, mm. So, so, and design as a category really is a category that emerges in India in the colonial era. So, though the topics might yes. be different, it's a, it's they're tied together. Um, mm. Making architecture, of course, most of the the buildings that are spoken about here are um, either um, early Buddhist stuff or things from southern India. So, most of India students have worked both on. Tamil country or on Vijayanagara or um, uh, or Tamil uh, uh, merchants work uh, building temples in China. So uh, here, the idea of making architecture is is, is um, tied to personality of a king, uh, an mm-hmm. ideal king. It's tied to uh, how do we think about um, buildings which don't fit into familiar art historical categories do we call them um do we do we say that this is a kind of no man's land or do we give agency to architects and patrons who want to say oh we like that stuff that comes from let's say just further up north but we also want to do this thing and then if we put them together what happens so that's that or what happens when we make architecture with a particular material and you build so many buildings of that material, you run out of that material, but you still want to make in that material. So then when you're, when you're making stone temples, you want to keep the source of your material as close as possible. So Emma Natalia Stein talks about how Kanchi itself starts changing uh, as they start seeking uh, uh, that material in areas where it's more easily available and build temples uh, in, a, in an area from, the, uh, you know, at a distance from familiar, uh, from the center of Pallava Kanchi. So the Pallava Kanchi itself starts to expand. And then, of mm. course, Catherine Kasdor's really meticulous essay about how a temple in um, Halibid is transformed in the Mysore Archaeological Survey 
and how when not the not the British archaeological survey, but a princely state archaeological survey gets into the business of restoring a um, much earlier temple, what kinds of choices are made and uh, what were their thinking? What were what was their thought about archaeology and restoration and how to make a complete building out of ruins? So mm. that's also really important. And then I think the section on sharing intrusion and influence, which is section four, um, is really important because uh, when Vidya wrote this essay with Gary Tarr, um, it was titled Sharing Intrusion and Influence. And they were really speaking to the way, the easy way that somebody says, oh, that thing influences this. And mm -hmm. we accept it if um, we hear like, you know, in popular conversation or in non-specialist conversation, oh, that thing influences this. But actually when you use the word influence or when you use words like under or um, it was made under, we're always positing power relationships. Now, yes. I'm not saying that power is not important, but that you have to be mindful in how you conceptualize as a scholar um, the vectors of power in the way that you use language. So sharing implies a, a, a kind of co-creation, co of me. Intrusion is when something that's pretty um, foreign to a place just is plopped into it. One example would be when a prized icon from one area is plopped into, is, is taken by a king in battle and brought to a new area and then it starts a new tradition there or it remains yes. just as a, as a war trophy, a prized war trophy and remains powerful because of its singularity and influence is when people, um, it's not that influence doesn't exist, but we have to be very careful in how we formulate the idea of influence, not by fearing the word influence, but by actually doing deep historical research. So both the young scholar, Jeremy Simmons, and um, the scholar, she's also quite uh, just recently finished her PhD, Arti Menon, look at how Rome, uh, Jeremy looks at uh, Roman coins and how they are copied or stamped over in uh, the Krishna Godavari uh, Tungabhadra, uh, uh, this, this middle Deccan area, this Deccan area. Mm. And, and it's a kind of prizing of these Roman coins um, and, uh, but it's, it's being made for, they're being remade for local interests. And Arati Menon's work on St. Thomas, the, the early Christian saint who, whose church is in yes. Chennai and who's a very important mm. person in the history of Indian Christianity. She talks about how, um, uh, a church, uh, of his and the cross, uh, become important elements uh, are brought together with elements from uh, more more Indic elements, like for example makaras or elephants and whatnot, and and then this peacock, peacocks. All these things are put together to make something that feels Christian and local. Yes, and then yes, and in, in that essay, I thought what was interesting was also how. Um, uh, you know, the antiquity of Christianity in India uh, um, and the later, you know, the later 
the padres the portuguese uh, uh, priests who come in don't understand that and they have, i found that very interesting and they have a quite violent relationship with the earlier christian uh yes and uh, earlier christian symbols uh, objects it it's threatening for them because it's not their version of catholicism yes um and then the last section which which again for you might feel quite vast uh if but is all about the body and mm-hmm. um we have bodies of yoginis very important because they're very powerful creatures and how the yogini becomes the sufi ruhania in the context mm-hmm. of the bijapur sultanate in their painting okay mm-hmm. um Seher Agarwal as that the, the Ruhani Yogini and Ruhani essays by the scholar Deborah Diamond. Uh Seher Agarwal's essay is about desire there's is a huge um flourishing of scholarship on wonder and desire and this is yes. particularly about um a single painting that's not made in India it's made outside of in, in the South Asia but, but comes here and is touched up and uh it it's really about how do we show shireen as a desirable person and how do mm. we show kusro as a desiring lover so mm. the ashik and the mashuka um yeah mm, but, but the fact that they changed <laughs> they changed shireen's facial structure yes. was i mean while they kept him the same kind of like i don't know what what is what is it, it might be so desirable that you have to change her a little bit to <laughs> desire can be overwhelming and women are often the the producers and objects of desire so and that's one thing that you walk away understanding sahar's uh, from under, the understanding you walk away from sahar's work on this single mm. thing is that how do you modulate and control women's desirability okay um and molly's work is is um a wonderful essay about um women friend, female friendship and erotic the erot- the eros of female friendship as being mm. between two women courtly women between being women who are um created as exempl- exemplary rajput and uh, mughal heroines and also mm-hmm. about um uh how a mm, how a third not just the nayika and the nayika the not just the hero mm-hmm. and the heroine but something third can emerge and she's really turning to both uh, this is her ongoing work done with the late Alison Bush but also on her own she's been long interested in the erotics erotics and sakis and mm. um, and uh, she's 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 turning to psychology um contemporary psychology to think about um how do we understand eros in that third thing what is the erotics mm. of that third thing which is neither a pure nayika nor a pure nayika and um if i may talk about my uh, uh, uh one of one of the my uh, i like laura weinstein's work a lot because it takes courage to go back to something that you wrote earlier and this is something vidya fostered in all of us um this was part of an early work and she revisits it to correct herself 
She has new mm-hmm. archival material. She has matured. And she is now correcting herself in the way that she thought about the, these photographs from Jaipur by, made by one of, um, uh, you know, a, a kingly photographer, um, art mm-hmm. photographer, as he made pictures of the women in his zinana. And then yes. all of these are about bodies, right? All these things. And, and finally, my own essay where I'm really talking yeah, about... Just, just a minute. The women don't look very... Uh, ah. I mean, is, is it because in earlier conventions you just didn't smile or they didn't look very happy in the pictures? <laughs> well, I think the convention of smiling might be a very new convention. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, I think that yeah. uh, the, if you look at any early colonial photography, any early photography, people don't smile. They don't. I think it's like as recent as the 60s, almost. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) there's a, it might come out of like uh, photography from film or something where you take a still of somebody um, smiling in a scene. And then as very often happens, things from one art form migrate into another art form and then they migrate into the way that human beings imagine themselves or reimagine themselves. Yes. And um, yeah. So, and then, yeah. So this is how all the sections hold together. Okay. Okay. So what's the the challenge for you? What's the challenge? Yeah. What's the challenge for me? (laughs) because this is like a really varied sort of thing that I mean Vidya Dahija is sort of the 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 common factor. I mean, like a big common factor. But the the subjects of each of these things are so you know it's like vast. So I was wondering while I was like dipping into it that while you were putting this together, it was it must have been quite a thing, an effort. Well. Um... It might be my nature, uh, you know, to read a lot. I mean, I read enormously. I love my field. I read not just art history, but I read, um, I I run a library and a research institute. So we have a vast, we we keep up with the new scholarship. People tell me, because I read a lot of people in my field, tell me about their work or new work I should pay attention to. I often do interviews with scholars for like the Bangalore International Center or some other things because I love paying attention to people's work and their thinking. Um, and like you must do a lot of preparation for your podcast. I too, I too do a lot of, um, rambling kind of preparation. Uh, for me, um, a book and ideas are the most pleasurable place on earth writing, reading, mm. thinking, doing field work. So putting this book together, I never saw it as a challenge. Uh, mm. I, I saw it as a labor of love because I love my field. I love my teacher. I have an enormous mm. debt to her and I love mm. um, the, the her students. And I love how these students are themselves connected now as scholars in their own right to others constellations of scholars which converge and overlap but are also different and Mm. um, every so often I like to do a book that allows me to catch up 
okay. work that allows me to catch up in, in a in a way that I not only have to do it privately, but I'm held accountable for it. So, mm-hmm. so when put doing this book, I had to become accountable for the way I conceptualized it, how I um, gave each person adequate uh, attention space in the text. Um, and also connected it back to the main purpose, uh, one of the main purposes, which is to honor Vidya Dehedja, and then um, uh, made sure that each of the essays and the sections and the book is a vector that point not just to the back, to the back, to the history of the discipline, but to the future of the discipline. Okay. So for me, it was okay. not a challenge. I saw it. It's, it's, it's work. Like you have to learn and read and um, talk to people and give them honest feedback. And I was very um, appreciative and that all of them understood that any feedback I gave or asked other people to give was done in the spirit of making, lifting all of our work to make it as, as good as it could be for the book. Okay. Okay. And uh, I also found Vidya Dehedja's, uh, you know, the epilogue uh, kind of funny in parts when she, when she talks about her field work and about people uh, of some village hiding themselves because they thought that she was uh, the decoyed Hasina. Yes. <laughs> I, I didn't expect a scholarly uh, uh, book to have bits like that. But that's a, it's a, like a great essay and also gives an insight into the... Uh, into the I know, the things that can crop up when you're doing field work. So I think I think that uh, that's in another reason why this book is a little bit of a hybrid. It's of course a fresh shift. It's also a reader, but it's also a love letter to our teachers. So each of the scholars um, uh, writes a brief note at the end of each essay, talking about uh, their relationship to Vidya and what they have uh, gained from her. Uh, but her own essay, I think, is is in her spirit, which is that Vidya is very uh, unpretentious about uh, herself and her life. Uh, she's a generation of scholars. She's still doing fieldwork at 80. Um, she's wow. um, she's going to publish something, I hope. And this is new scholarship. It is not... It is not. Uh, I was just listening to an interview with Robert Gottlieb, who is the editor of um, Robert Caro, the man who wrote uh, the multi-volume biography of Robert Moses and uh, Lyndon B. Johnson. They've been, he's been, uh, Gottlieb has been Caro's editor for 50 years and Caro is 87 and Gottlieb is 90. Gosh. And, and the, the last volume of his history of his biography of Lyndon Johnson is coming out. And um, I have come to understand, I am in my mid-50s now, and I've come to understand that if you are um, unpretentious and have a comfortable relationship, a loving relationship with labor, like Vidya does, Mm. It can, it can keep you going for a really long time, possibly the end of your life. Mm-hmm. And I think that she, um, 
her, in that essay, you come, I like all of us know, but it's really nice to hear somebody who is so valued and, um, and, uh, awarded for her scholarship to admit that often, um, things start very early in life, like parent mm. vacations, family vacations, or, or weird things happen that you really don't know how to digest. Um, they just stay with you. You don't necessarily need to um, analyze and no. theorize every experience. Uh, uh, but if if you kind of hold it inside of you, there's a they have an impact, an intuitive impact on the way that you conduct your career, the way that you. Um, do your scholarship and research the way you write. So Vidya's epilogue, I think, represents um, the spirit of, um, of of looking at the world with her with her own sense of wonder, and uh, I think she has that uh, what they call in Zen Buddhism Shoshin beginner's mind. She's capable of going to a place that's familiar for years, like Mahabalipuram, and relook at it all over again and see what possibilities it holds. Um, and she's curious about her own reactions to a place. And I think one of the reasons why her scholarship has felt so fresh and interesting mm-hmm. to so many people is that sense of um, of curiosity and wonder that she communicates. Uh, that imbues her scholarship. And of course, you know, you interviewed her for that hundred objects book that she recently yes. published. One thing that's important about that book is that it is, um, uh, it's, it, 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 there's been several books about hundred objects now. Yeah. Uh, and each of them comes with their own spirit. Maybe it's the, the millennial, uh, moment or, or maybe uh, there's a there's such an interest in popular history writing now, yes. and and when there are scholars who are willing to write popular histories, which are good and and solid, um, such as Vidya's book, I think it's it 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 does a lot of service to the field and to general to 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 general audiences. And in that book, what what she demonstrates is. Um, that each the hundred objects are of course very different, but that also she's listening to her students, which she acknowledges always. She's connecting those objects to the new things in the field. So, for example, um, I'm just finishing reading a wonderful dissertation, which connects something that feels like um, tied to the hinterlands of coastal India to the Indian Ocean and to Africa. And that level of uh, engagement with Indian Ocean studies is is, a fr- is is new to the field of Indian art history, and it's expanding very rapidly. So, with these uh, objects, reflect these new kinds of interests, as well as the enduring uh, fascinations with Mughal art, with Buddhist art, with Ashoka, whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I've just been looking at um, another scholar's. Uh, book um, uh, 
uh, about uh, about ancient India, and and it's done in such a nice way. And I and I and I and I think that um, uh, uh, Vidya's work has always balanced scholarship. So there are things she writes for other scholars and uh, scholar writing that she does for serious general audiences. And then it manifests in the way she curate, has curated exhibitions and it manifests in the kinds of lectures and films that she's been involved in, lecture series and films that she's been involved in. Hmm. Uh, but writing for a general audience, you know, I mean, for a scholar, isn't that like, you know, even when I was reading that book, I was thinking it, it, it's so difficult, right? It actually is difficult for a scholar to to make something appealing to a general audience. How, you know, I mean, oh, um, so how do, how do you do that? How does one do that? Well, I, I took a different path with the same interest, but a different path from Vidya. I think I, I went to an Ivy League school, um, mm. like, when I was in my undergraduate, it was in a state school in California, and I had done my high schooling in India, but earlier schooling was in the U.S. and in India. So um, I, in India, at least in, my, in, in, in the 80s, um, uh, when people were not taught to write essays. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and when I was, I think, in a course on modern art in my undergraduate um, my teacher was this lovely woman, uh, and she said, she was a curator and she was just wonderful young woman. And she said, I'm not going to give you a grade for this because there's a lot of ideas, but it's really badly written. And you work on this as much as you can, as long as you want to, and then I'll give you the grade when you're ready to stop. And what that kind of spaciousness and generosity gave me was um, an understanding. I, I don't know if I could have articulated it that way in my early 20s, but an understanding that you have to put effort into communication if communication is your livelihood. Mm-hmm. And you have, to dis, you have to be attentive as a writer, but you also have to be an audience for your own work. And you have to, you have to, especially when you're dealing with art, you're, you're dealing with, um, in some ways, the, the, the object that you're writing about is also interlocuting your own writing. It should, inter, it should be given that kind of status. So I, of course I got an A because I had the time and the, I put the effort into ter- writing it. And then I went to this um, university, which is, you know, a very elite university, Columbia. And you're, mm-hmm. and I went there in an era where um, post-colonial theory and French structuralism and all these very major philosophical turns were, uh, were speeding along and were very contentious and people were really debating it. And I was deeply engaged with it in my own way. And when I came to India and um, I was reading other people's writings and stuff and listening to the way that people were talking, I mean, the field of art history is almost minuscule in India. It's just there's so few places where you can study it. So the people that I talked to were artists primarily at school. Mm -hmm. You can't dump all that jargon on artists. Um, You can't. 
you can't and it's not fair and you can't put it into i mean literary studies in india were of course much more um familiar with all that theories uh, theoretical language the theory is there but it has to be inhaled and digested so profoundly that it reflects in the metaphors in the adjectives in the verbs and in the way in the attitude of your writing but it isn't about it isn't about a ready made box into which you dump your ideas and hope it sounds profound you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah so i think vitya's epilog is a uh, part of a uh, of a, a a larger understanding that an audience matters an audience matters and the character of the audience matters you don't make everything so uh you know uh smooth and frictionless that they don't have to put any effort in working to think on the other yeah. hand uh thinking uh, on the other hand you don't need to be so um uh so devoid of emotion and humanity and be so severe in your commitment to uh, uh being a, a scholar of a certain kind that you write in a language that's very and and write about things in a way that feels very well inhuman so <laughs> uh, uh so uh i i do value vidya's very much her commitment to communicating with emotion and with the lightness there is a lightness to her writing hmm hmm and what do you personally think about you know like this sudden in a florescence of uh, popular history you know especially in india so uh, i mean i'm talking about india i'm sure it's all across but in india you know spe- specifically on the deccan on the mughals you know the, a, a lot of people who are very who are popular historians and you know on online you see uh, and i haven't i didn't notice it earlier but there were there are, there's a great interest in what they're saying so you know what do you is that a good thing is it a you know what do you think about it well um i think that uh, history is has become a big bone of contention in our society yes and i think that a lot of people are excited by engaging by chewing on that bone of contention and mm. i'm very happy about that mm. um i think that there's so much exciting research happening and but many of those people cannot actually write books for serious general audiences so mm. people who are writing books on the deccan or sufis or something like that um mm. or um the mysore court like vikram sampat or there's so many people that are doing this they're doing a great yes. service but mm. i think that these kinds of books um also need to be reviewed very seriously by people mm. who are familiar with those fields um yes. and are, ca- are able to do uh some amount of public introspection on the art of writing history on 
the the method of interpretation, mm-hmm. um, the kind of narrative, what are the impacts of certain ways of telling narratives on this on the the current um, current struggle over how do we tell India's stories, India's histories, yes. um, mm-hmm. and uh, I I wish more people would read non English. Indian language texts of all mm. periods. I wish there was um, more um, more challenge posed to English language history in the mm. popular world. Um, mm. I I don't know what your feeling is, um, but I do feel like uh, uh, I wish people would read more. So I'm very grateful for anybody who entices people into reading more, but I would love to see people reading more critically in general. Okay. That's my opinion. Yeah, that makes sense. It's an opinion. Yeah. It's not based on any serious study. <laughs> no, but it's 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 valid. You know? Yeah. 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 So great. Okay, and on that note, I mean, we we shall end. Uh thank you so much for talking to me you know uh, and for the for for the listener for the listener go out and buy the long art of uh, sorry the long arc of south asian art essays in honor of vidya dahija it's not an easy read but there are so many insights in it that a non scholarly person can also take away a lot from it so thank you so much anapurna for talking to me it was lovely talking to you manjula i'm very grateful thank you so much bye Bye. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.